BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning. Within the space of about 10 days, uh, we have completely redesigned the front end of the criminal justice system. before the court, do you have witnesses? The steps that we've had to take to adjust to this crisis will fundamentally change the way we do business going forward. You've probably heard the saying, justice delayed is justice denied. So in a coronavirus world where nearly everything is delayed, what does that mean for the criminal justice system? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague, Brian Polson. Hi, Amanda. And today we are with our third colleague, who we haven't talked to in a while, but we're so happy to see or hear this morning. Hi, Jenna. Hi, guys. Good morning. How you doing? We're doing all right. We're social distancing here. We're each recording from our homes. That's Fox 6 consumer investigator Jenna Sachs, you just heard. We're bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all this bombardment of coronavirus news. We are recording this episode on Monday morning, March 30th. Now, on a normal day, thousands of people are in and out of the Milwaukee County Courthouse. But right now, of course, nothing is normal. So Jenna Sachs is here to take us through what she's learned about this and and what these changes mean for you. Jenna, welcome again to welcome back to the podcast. We've missed you. It's good to have you back here. Um, What kind of things did you learn? I know you talked to uh, Milwaukee County District Attorney. Um, John Chisholm about this. What's going on with the with the courthouse and the court system in the midst of all of this? Well, they've had to make some pretty sweeping changes in response to coronavirus. Obviously, their first priority is containment, and they've spent pretty much the first 10 days or so of this uh, outbreak and all the buildings being shut down, focusing on reducing the number of feet in the building. Because as you said before, a lot of people go into this building every day, and they felt that that was posing a public health risk and they felt that couldn't continue so one of the first things they did was they shut down a lot of courtrooms they normally have 23 criminal courtrooms and now they only have three so they're really only focusing on initial appearances uh preliminary hearings and emergency bail reviews everything else is pretty much having to wait unless you have a really serious offense Uh, up on the seventh floor they're doing temporary restraining orders domestic violence injunctions things like that But they said that they feel at this point their job is to protect the public safety. And right now that means protecting the public health. So that has to come first. Uh, And then they're trying to figure out how they can maybe move things along a little bit more while we're in this waiting phase, because cases are being delayed significantly, at least 60 days, possibly more. So they felt they had to take some sweeping changes. I know that typically you're looking into consumer issues. How did you get into looking into what's going on in the court system? Because that's not something that you would typically be involved in. No, it's not. And I I initially got interested in it because I have a, a relative who works as a lawyer. 
and I saw some posts online where he was upset about there was a patchwork system in place for a lot of different courthouses in the state at that time. Some courts were shut down, some weren't, and lawyers were upset about it. And I started looking into issues related to the criminal justice system, and I got interested in what we were doing here. Uh, because there are a lot of people, and it's not necessarily a consumer issue, but there are a lot of people who are waiting for justice, whether they're a victim or whether a defendant. And I felt that there was thousands of people that might want this information and want to know what's going on and what kind of system is going to be waiting for them when they're ready for their case to finally move forward. And it sounds like they are making a lot of steps at the courthouse to try to make things more efficient. The DA made it sound like these are things that he's actually been wanting for some time. You know, the sharing of information electronically, moving cases around electronically, filing cases that way, sharing police discovery reports. Uh, they've had a lot of changes with those initial appearances. It used to be that inmates went there in person from the jail. They're not doing that right now. They're doing more video conferencing and Zoom. And that's something other courthouses have been doing, but they haven't been doing in Milwaukee County. So they're trying to make things more efficient so that when things do come back, they can move through cases faster because right now people are still being arrested for violent offenses. And that's still a top priority for them to take those people in the jail and have those hearings happen. Uh, but there are limits to how much they can do right now. So they really have to prioritize the most serious cases. Well, I thought about this when you were just talking, Jenna, that, as you said, people continue to commit crimes. We are in a situation now where more people are holed up at home without places to go. So there's been that question of what will the impact be on things like domestic violence? And that's one of those things where I think it would be very important for victims or potential victims to know that there is still a system that's open for them to go to because when you hear the courthouse is shutting down or the justice system is sort of shutting down or on hold, people might think, well, there's no point. Why go forward? You were saying that for things like temporary restraining orders, domestic violence hearings, those are still going on? Yes, they are. Uh, those are considered a top priority right now. So if you're in a domestic violence situation, you can still find help right now. But they also mentioned that there's been a dramatic reduction in police calls for service. We don't know exactly why, but that is helping a little bit because as we know, they had some issues with the jail. They don't want a corona, coronavirus outbreak in the jail. And they know that to prevent that, they want one cell per inmate. So one of the first things they had to do was reduce the jail population by about 150 people. And they want people to know that the people who are being released are not the most serious offenders. They promise they're not going to release anyone who is a potentially violent individual who's accused of a serious violent crime. But they have to also think about the public safety again, because if there's an outbreak in the jail, that's something that can spread and be a huge problem if those people take up space at hospitals uh, just because they weren't able to contain it at the jail. So they've had to take a lot of different things into consideration. And we're just going to all have to be patient when these other cases get back online, when they start seeing hearings, because we don't know how much they're going to be delayed. They're taking these steps to try to make things more efficient, uh, but there's still going to be significant delays when things reopen. Amanda, I know you, you were just talking before we got into the po podcast about something related to that, which I think is very interesting. If they released 150 people from the jail who they say are not violent or don't pose a danger to the community, it certainly does raise the question in this jail and many others about, OK, well, if they're not a danger to the community and these are pretrial situations, why are they in there? And is that something that may have a lasting impact as you had many people stepping up, the ACLU and others saying some of these people shouldn't have been there in the first place? Will this be a question that lingers after COVID-19 passes? 
I think that's a legitimate question. We didn't get too much into that in our discussion, but at this point, they say, you know, we just don't have the room and public health takes priority over uh, over keeping these inmates in the system. So maybe in the future, they'll go back to the way things were. Maybe they won't. But those are definitely questions that could be asked down the line. I know in your story, the DA specifically said this is going to have a lasting change on how we do things. Is there anything specifically that he thinks is going to stick around? I think he thinks the technology upgrades they're making are going to stick around. The video conferencing, the sharing of information electronically. It sounds like there's a lot that's been done by hand at the courthouse that they are now finally doing more electronically. Sharing police discovery reports, all these different things. I think he's, he, it sounds like he wanted that for quite some time. And now they're finally getting those things in place to make things more efficient. So I think that's something they're happy about. Um, one other thing we haven't discussed that maybe we should mention is I asked them about if they're going to have more plea bargains uh, because of this. And he had said, you know, in those cases where we knew things were going to wrap up eventually and the attorneys are quibbling over minor things. I have encouraged them to reach a deal so that we have fewer cases to come back to. He said not homicides, not sexual assaults, uh, but cases where there was a minor thing holding up both sides. Try to settle those so that we can have fewer cases on our on our docket when we get back. You know, I, I this may be selfish as a journalist because I know we need to access court records a lot. But when you talk about the uh, upgrades in technology and the ability to do things remotely. One thing that Wisconsin has has never allowed, even after they've scanned so many of these documents into the systems, is remote access to court files, whether that be criminal complaints or, or uh, the initial petition in a civil case. There are other certain documents along the way that are certainly of interest to us as journalists because it's what we use to do our jobs and we physically have to appear at the courthouse to see these things even though they're filed electronically. There are other states I know that allow access. Florida is one that's very open. From Wisconsin, I can literally look at court files in the state of Florida uh, and determine which things I want to download or print out. Maybe that will be a thing that opens up some access to the general public because for a lot of people, while it's our job, to drive down to the courthouse and look at records. For many people, taking time off of work and 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 with child care issues and other things to get to the courthouse to look at court files is prohibitive. The ability to potentially search these things or pay for these things, download them online, may in fact be uh, a great benefit. So there's a possibility, I suppose, if that's where this goes, that some of the things that come out of this could be beneficial to the public down the road. Well, as journalists, I think that's what we would hope for. And it might be easier for them to accommodate those kind of things if they have more technology upgrades in place. So I think that's a really good question. I I wonder if that will help us down the line to get those records faster, um, to share more easily. But it sounds like, at least on their end, that's what they're starting to do a bit more. I should mention, I think 90% of the DA's staff is working remotely. I believe that was the percentage he mentioned. And when I talked to the chief judge, Mary Trigiano, she said about 80% of their staff is working remotely. So they're having to exchange a lot of information electronically right now. Um, But the DA uh, seems uh, happy about how things are going. Interestingly, he mentioned that they actually had a big exercise planned. You know how all these different police agencies get together and they do these big um, emergency situations exercises? Sure. Um, he said they actually had one planned for a pandemic that was on the schedule and it was upcoming and the actual pandemic hit before the pandemic exercise, which is interesting. 
So they were all ready to run through these scenarios and what they were going to do. And then they found themselves having to do them before that. At least they were thinking about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, At least they had put some thought into it. Um, I do want to go back to something you said earlier, Jenna, about uh, at the time when you started looking into this, Wisconsin being a little more, the the court systems being more patched work. I do think we should mention that a week ago, the state Supreme Court uh, handed down a decision, a divided decision, to suspend jury trials until late May. And the reason that was divided was you had some Supreme, Supreme Court justices saying, hold on, I'm worried about people's constitutional rights. Um, We have a lot of things that could be at issue here, um, whether it's right to a speedy trial um, and some of the other concerns that you mentioned, Jenna. So have you spoken to anyone or on the other end of the coin, any victims' families who are upset about the way things are going right now? I did speak with a family of a victim of a reckless driving incident. They didn't want to go on camera. We did have an interview planned and they ended up backing out at the last minute saying it was just too emotional for them and they didn't want to relive it at this particular moment. But they had uh, a sentencing hearing scheduled for mid-March and it's been delayed till late May. And that was an emotional burden for them. They that, that was difficult for them. They wanted this to wrap up. They wanted to put this chapter behind them and they can't because it's been delayed. So there are people out there who are feeling real emotions. And I asked, you know, the chief judge about that. I asked the DA and they said, we're just having to ask people to be patient. We understand better than anyone else the emotional toll that these cases can have on people. But right now we really do have to try to protect their safety and not bring them into a building where they could possibly become ill and for some people seriously ill. So it's... There's, they're, they're very cognizant of the fact that people are struggling with this. And on the other side, the defendants have a right to a speedy trial. But right now, our definition of what is a speedy trial and what is possible is very different than what it was before this outbreak happened. Well, Amanda, as you mentioned, there were a couple of justices that dissented in the decision to delay trials citing that very thing, the constitutional right to a speedy trial. But of course, the decision has been to make those delays for, for the public safety On the flip side of that, you have people in serious felony cases who may have bonded out, who are out in the public right now, who are awaiting trial or awaiting sentencing, things like that. And there's one particular case I'm following. I'm not going to talk about it here because it's part of an ongoing investigation. But that's a person who's still out in the community and who's accused uh, at the felony level of harming members of our community. So it does raise the question of the longer this goes on. Uh, are there people out there who are still awaiting adjudication on something serious, um, who are still out there potentially uh, at risk of harming the public further? But these are the very things I think we're all dealing with. This is, this is as we've said before, a whole new situation and, and in many ways uncharted territory. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things to think about whenever we're talking about how the court system works. There are so many layers and there are so many complexities. And I think it's going to be several weeks before we really grapple with the full impact. I hope this is a story that we keep following because depending on what they keep around, depending on the issues that they decide to hold on to, the changes they decide should be implemented more permanently going forward, I do think we could see lasting changes here, and it will be a while before we know the impact of that. 
Now, we've been talking about technology in this podcast, and of course, we're all dealing with the issues of technology as we try to live our lives remotely and do our jobs remotely. Well, Jenna Sachs had, was part of this podcast a moment ago, and she's disappeared. I think she's trying to dial back in. I don't know if she's going to make it back in, so we may end up having to say goodbye without her. If she gets back in, we'll let you know here. But one more thing I wanted to bring up, Amanda, is something I think is extraordinary when you think of the the tight rules of federal courts. Um, And we've been talking throughout this process with people losing their jobs and losing their steady incomes and, and all the uncertainty financially in this country right now that bankruptcies is something we want to watch. Are bankruptcies going to skyrocket? And interestingly enough, at the same time you have the potential for bankruptcies to skyrocket, you have a court system that's limiting and shutting down. But the federal courts have done something. I just think this is absolutely extraordinary. They have changed the rules temporarily to allow people without lawyers to file bankruptcy by email. And that, from a federal court system, to me, just seems, as I said, extraordinary, uh, very unusual. But it, it does would appear to open up more access to the system at a time when it's really needed. Well, and it to me, it also brings up uh, issues of cybersecurity. So I would be interested in, with more people doing uh, electronic filing, more people working remotely, I am curious to see how cybersecurity has or has not been beefed up because that's something that could be an issue here too when we're talking about sensitive information. Bottom line, the court system is open and it's running, but it's open on a limited basis with a lot of caveats there, and there's a lot that's being delayed. This, like so many other industries and areas of our life, is just something we're going to have to try to plod through until life returns to normal. And we're going to bring you more frequent episodes. We're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record during this pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, you want us to dig into further, something you think we should investigate, please send us an email to theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's T-H-E investigators all together at fox6now.com. Thank you to the people who made this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, Sarah Smith, and of course, Jenna Sachs for joining us over the phone this morning. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. For Brian Polson, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. We will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.